So, um, pondering Psalms to start with this morning, and uh, I'm going to change my mind, so uh, let's look at Psalm 19, Psalm 19. 19? Yep. I was going to go with 136, and I thought, no, let's go with 19. So... God's floor is on tour in the skies. God craft on exhibit across the horizon. The damn day holds classes over uh, classes every morning. Professor Knight lectures each evening. Their words aren't heard, their voices aren't recorded, but their silence fills the earth. Unspoken truth is spoken everywhere. God makes a huge dome for the sun, a superdome. The morning sun is something new husband. Sleeping from his honeymoon bed, day breaking sun, an athlete racing to the tape. That's how God's word vaults across the skies from sunrise to sunset. Melting ice, scorching deserts, warming hearts to faith. The revelation of God is whole and pulls our lives together. The signposts of God are clear and points out the right road. The life maps of God are right, showing the way of joy. The directions of, of God are plain and easy on the eyes. God's reputation is 24 karat gold, with a lifetime guarantee. Decisions of God are accurate, down to the nth degree. God's word is better than a diamond, better than a diamond set between animals. You're like it better than strawberries in spring, better than red and ripe strawberries. There's more. God's word warns us of danger and directs us to hidden treasure. Otherwise, how will we find our way? Or know when we play the fool? Clean the slate, God, so we can so we can start the day fresh. Keep me from stupid sins. I'm looking, I think I can take over your work. Then I can start and then start this day sun washed, scrubbed clean of the crime of sin. These are the words in my mouth. These are what I chew on and pray. Accept them when I place them on the morning altar. Oh God, my altar rock, God, priest of my altar. What version is that? <laughs> that was great. What version is that? That's the message. You know, I've not read. Some like strawberries and strawberries in there. That was that was that was good. So I'm sitting here following. I don't know how many times I've read Psalm 19, and I've never read it like that. Wow. That was awesome. <laughs> this is this is this is the prayer in my on my uh, out of my mouth and the things I'm chewing on throughout the day. <laughs> uh, that is that is really good. So so what is Psalm 19 about? I mean, you, you just you just went through. <laughs> Pardon? I just got distracted. You got distracted. So, so what is Psalm 19 about? Did you read Strawberries. Strawberries. He said. Strawberries. Glory to God. It's it's uh, what a 24 karat gold. Yeah, instead of pure. So, uh, what is what is that about? You have no idea. Well, what's what's the first part of what's the first part of the psalm about? Just take just take the first six verses. What's that about? 
works and the word of God. So works and the word of God. So the first part. The Lord, the Lord. Mm-hmm. So the first part about is about the works of God, and that the works of God declare who He is, yeah. declare His glory, and that uh, even if there are no words to it, I can't remember how I said it in, in your version. <laughs> It's a, uh, a lesson without words or something like that. Uh, their words aren't heard, their voices aren't recorded, but their silence fills the earth. Yep. Unspoken truth is spoken everywhere. Yeah, unspoken truth is spoken everywhere. So that's the, the works of the Lord. And we see that all over the place, but Paul points that out in Romans. He said, you know, um, God is evident by what he has created and what he has made. Um, and uh, then there's a very poetic representation of the order and purpose of what God has done, about how he's um, ordered creation and even ordered the events of the day that occur. And then what does it get into? It gets into the Word, right? So you have the words and the Word, right? What does it say about the Word of God? It's perfect. perfect. Yep. And how's how's it perfect? Yep, it makes uh, making wise the simple, restoring the soul. It's right, causes your heart to rejoice. When when things are right, um, people do rejoice. Right? I think the reason people have a lot of unrest in the world today is because things aren't right. Um, and I don't think they're going to be made right in this next election, by the way. <laughs> or by Wall Street or any other uh, force, of, force of man. <laughs> well, you know, <clears throat> if, if all you have is the world, then you got to make the best of it, right? you got to make it strawberries and uh, 24-karat gold. But it really isn't, right? What is, what is uh, true um, is, is God. And his words are more desirable than gold or sweeter than honey, better than strawberries, right? <clears throat> and that they're that way not because just that they're right, but also because by it we're, we learn, we're cautioned. It's like, okay, God cares about actually what we're doing. He cares about whether we step to the right or to the left. He directs our steps. But it's, you know, as, as uh, creature folk, we can ignore his direction, which leads to peril. But by allowing him to direct our steps, we can uh, walk in wisdom. So you actually see that. You know, he, he, uh, he corrects us, gives us wisdom, he keeps us from stupid sins. Is that what it said? <laughs> he wants to keep us such that we'll be blameless and acquitted of great trans, uh, transgression. And then as, as David's reflecting on this, um, he says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my altar rock. He said, "My redeemer." So let's let's take a look at Ephesians this morning.
that's where we're at. And uh, figure out how we can get to chapter 3. So what's, what have we learned in Ephesians so far? What have you guys learned in Ephesians? I know what I've been learning. What have you guys been learning? <laughs> Somebody's got to be brave here and step out. God desires to bless us with every spiritual blessing. What else have we learned in Ephesians? I think that's that's a key thing right there. He knew us before the foundation of the earth. Pardon? He knew us before the foundation of He knew us before anything was created. Right? That's pretty amazing. Yes. When you think about it. In fact, I was actually pondering that uh, this week about the nature and character of God, the nature of God being someone that is totally unknowable to me. I can't, I can't imagine and fathom um, apart from a creature's perspective who God is. Right? So I'm very limited in what I can know about God. And yet he was there before I was created and thinking about me. That's pretty amazing. Good thoughts are bad thoughts. Pardon? Good thoughts are bad thoughts. <laughs> well, <clears throat> so that's another thing we've learned from Ephesians. Good thoughts or bad thoughts? What was God thinking about us? What was I Good thoughts. Good thoughts. He was thinking about how he would create us for a purpose. What's the purpose? To be Pardon? Good works. What What was your answer? That's what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> so, God desires to bless us with all spiritual blessings, which when you look at all the blessings you could get, uh, you could get a third of the lottery that was $1.5 billion or whatever, right? Or you could get God's spiritual blessings, which would you choose? Um, a third of the lottery. <laughs> we got that. We got that. Uh, that contrariness going on this morning. Um, <laughs> uh, but God desires to bless us. He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. In love, He predestined us to adoption as sons. He desires that we would be kin. Right. So, um, and and this is why we use the word father. When you think about it, why do we talk about God as Father? And the reason why is because um, He is the the head of our family, right? And we are, um, if we're family, and together with Him, we are actually in Him. And that's an idea that Paul wants us to understand, um, that we can be in Him. We're predestined uh, to adoption as sons, and that that is through... Jesus Christ, that's the, the means by which he managed to bring us in to the family. And this was according to the kind intention of his will and to the praise of his glory, of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. So I'm reading through the first uh, paragraph of Ephesians in chapter 1. It says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of of his grace, which he lavished on us. So we talked about grace. What did we learn about grace? 
Pardon? It's free. You can't spell grace without gray. Can't. You can't spell grace without gray. Can't spell grace without gray. So, um, grace is a mystery in a way, right? I think love is a mystery too. You know, a couple of things really uh, are mysteries to me. Very difficult for me to get my my fingers on or my arms around. One of them is evil. And I'm really grateful that I can't get my arms around evil, right? That I can't understand it. Because I had a friend tell me one time, he says, well, if you can't understand it, that means it's not in you, right? Another thing that is difficult to understand is love. And why would God love when we're unlovable, right? Why would he, well, it's because he's gracious. It's, his, it's who he is. It's part of his character, that he desires to bless us, right? And that that is manifest in his love. And that's exactly what we read. He lavished this on us. Um, In all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him, this is speaking of Christ, with view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times. That is the summing up of all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. So, God didn't just aimlessly throw all this in motion. He's not the watchmaker wound it up and locked away. Rather, it's very purposeful. It's designed to um, be ordered in a way that makes that blessing have the maximum impact. And so what we talk about when things are ordered to create maximum impact, we call that administration. The reason we have administration within a church is to make things work well, right? So that administration is headed up in Christ, both in heaven and in the earth. And we understand that through the roles that we've studied, the prophet, the priest, and the king, that of revelation, that of uh, mediation, bringing us to God, and that of um, administering as a king over the kingdom. So we see that that's that's, uh, what he was about doing. It says, in him... Also, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we who are the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, after listening to the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance, with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. Redemption of God's possession, that inheritance, that's one of the things that brings us hope, right? So we look, what are, what are three things that remain that are not destroyed, regardless of what is the state of this world? What are three things that remain? Love, hope, and charity. Faith. Love, faith, and hope. Yep. And which, which does Paul say is the greatest? Love. Right? Again, that mystery of God's grace expressed towards us. Um, so we have um, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these being love. And that, that's, that hope is in um, the promise that God has given us. That promise is an inheritance. A promise that we are part of his family in spite of us being alienated, 
a promise that we will be loved despite our unlovableness, right? A promise that we have a place in his kingdom and that he will call us by name and that we will be in his presence forever, right? That's what gives us hope. He calls us by name, will that be our new name? So I was actually, I was listening to, I can't remember who it was this last week. It might have been Jay Vernon McGee because he's working through Revelation. And uh, it talks about um, that we'll be given a new name. And his reflection on that was not so much that it's a name about who we are. Like my name is David, right? And if you go back to the etymology of that name, it means beloved, right? And that's like, oh, that's cool. <laughs> right. uh, Karen means uh, I want to say gracious pure, pure. right? Um, and so we all have a name and you can you know, trace it back in Gaelic or Greek or Hebrew or whatever to whatever the root of that is and you come up with a name and some people would say well that's the name God gives us which is a name that nobody else knows that's how he sees us right? but J. Vernon McGee turned it the other way around he said no 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 This is how we'll see Christ. The name that we're given is the name of the expression of his grace towards us in redeeming us, making us a citizen of his kingdom, a part of his family, drawing us to him such that when we see him, we say, wow, faithful. Wow, true, right? And we think of a very limited number of names for Christ, but he'll give us a name that we know personally about how he touched our lives and pulled us to him. So it's not so much about us as it's about him. I thought, I'd never actually thought about that before. A new name is a name for how the redemption of Christ works itself out in our life. And it's all about him. So if he calls us by that name and we never heard it before, we would know it? We would know it because uh, not so much that we're being called by that name, but that when that name is spoken, we recognize that that's the work of God for us individually. Well, we're in tune with that. Pardon? We're in tune with that. We're in tune with that. It's like when I, you know, and you've heard me tell my story about who I am uh, to limited degrees. I haven't shared everything. But, um, you know, when I give my testimony, right, God knew all that. He knew it before the foundation of the world. Right? And he was thinking good thoughts. He was thinking, I want to bless this part of my creation, David, to do good works in a way. And what are those good works? They're the works of, what are, what are good works? We talked about that. What are, it's doing God's, God's will. It's, it's like being his hands and feet. Right? It's actually working out the spirit of God in us in the world. Uh, doing what, what God would do. You know, we see the little wristband, what would Jesus do? Those are good works. And Jesus said, what you see me do, you'll do even greater because that's what God created us for, right? To do what he's doing in this world. And so uh, God created us for that. He's thinking all those good things. And um, when I see him, I will know, and, he's, and that name is spoken, I will know that that's what he did in me, right? And that's just an incredible thing, and it'll resonate with me. So when we read through that, 
Um, we understand a Holy Spirit of promise. We understand inheritance. We understand um, the kind intention of his will and his grace and all of those things. Paul is trying to help us understand about who God is, what he's done for us and is doing in us. Um, and then he expands that more, right? So he expanded it into a really clear definition of the gospel. Well, I like the part, you know, in the 13, in him you have trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom, having believed, you were sealed by the Holy Spirit. It reminds me of a king, when he does something, he puts his seal on it. That's right. I mean, that, you know, it's unbreakable. That's right. I have been sealed. There's no way somebody... Okay, no, 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 Jack Lemmer <laughs> is mine. That's right. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. I mean, that's... That is amazing. I mean, that part about being sealed. Yes. And, and that seal... What does that do for us? Rest, how, how does that change us? Pardon? Rest assured. We, we have assurance. Right. right? We know that our king is a good king. <laughs> and that um, he, is, uh, he desires our blessing. And um, I can trust him. Right? So that's where the faith comes in. So we've got faith and hope. And then there's this whole concept of love. Again, a mystery. And Paul's been working through kind of the who, who God is, who Christ is, um, what his purpose, his kind intention is, what he's done for us. We read about in chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. So the not as a result of works so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. So that's Paul's painting this picture, right? And finally, we get to chapter 3. And I'm going to read through chapter 3 uh, this morning, all of chapter 3. Um, and I did it before 10 o'clock. Okay? Okay? So we get to this point now where Paul is kind of, he's, it kind of at the end of this statement of this incredible theological treatise that he's been giving us, an understanding of God. For this reason, what reason? All of this that came before. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for you, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery, as I wrote before in brief, by referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which, is, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to his uh, holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit, to be specific that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel, of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of his power. Paul has these incredibly long sentences. <laughs> to me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery, 
which for ages has been hidden in God, who created all things, so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This was all in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. Therefore I ask you not to lose heart of my tribulations on your behalf, for they are your glory. So let me stop there before I jump into the next paragraph, which starts in 14, or I should say the next sentence. Uh, we have to break Paul's sentences up into multiple sentences in order to make them digestible. So Paul, he says, he's a prisoner of Christ for the sake of you Gentiles. And as soon as he says, you guys, you Gentiles, um, he immediately needs to clarify. He, needs to, he goes into this little uh, parenthetical uh, comment about the Gentiles and why he is a prisoner for the Gentiles. So what do we know about Paul at this point in history? He's a prisoner. He a prisoner. So this is written um, from Rome, where he is a prisoner, most likely it was in Rome, um, at the end of his three missionary journeys, and he has been locked up. Why was he locked up? Why was he arrested? Do you know the story? Remember it, Max? He brought a Greek into the temple was the accusation. And to bring a Greek, a Gentile, into the temple area where God is present with his people was a violation of Jewish law and worthy of being put to death. So there was this separation of the people. And there was those that are in and those that are out. And those that are out was almost everybody. And those that were in were very few select um, that could trace their heritage, their nationality, back to Abraham's sons through Jacob. Is, and that was in Rome? Well, Paul was writing from Rome. But what happened was he actually went to Jerusalem... And he went there to perform a Nazarite vow. A Nazarite vow is a vow of devotion. And we do that. We fast, we pray, we uh, worship God in a, a dedicated way at various points in our lives. We do that at holidays, right? What do we do at Christmas other than open presents? Hopefully, we begin the day with prayer and thanksgiving for the incredible gift that God has given to us. Right? That's worship. And so we do these kinds of things, and we call them holidays. Well, that's exactly what Paul was doing. He was doing this devout practice where he had, was going to show full subservience to God in Christ by keeping the law of the Jews, because that was his, his cultural heritage. Right? And in the course of doing that, there were others that he knew were equal in God's sight. He'd been preaching to the Gentiles for quite a while. He'd gone through uh, Asia Minor and, and uh, had spoken to a lot of people. He had presented the message of the gospel of Jesus, which is what? What is the gospel of Jesus? That uh, you have to be circumcised and have dietary laws and uh, shave your head. And By faith to... that you're saved. Pardon? By faith you're saved. 
Right, that Jesus came because of our separation from God, that we were outside of the family, that God desired this for his own, exactly what he said. Jesus completed the law of Moses and now uh, has overcome it. And that um, whether a a Greek or a Gentile understood anything about the Hebrew law, he, he didn't say that. He said, no, you guys, let me tell you about your unknown God. Right? They didn't know about the Hebrew practice in, in detail. They weren't scribes in Athens. Um, so he said, let me tell you about that God. You know, he created everything. And he put everything in order. And that the, the whole of societies and nations is all by his design. That there is nothing that wasn't put in, in place by God. In fact, he is so close to you, your poets have even said it. You are his children. And the way I like to think of it is, you are closer to God than your, than your own breath. He is sustaining you in between those minuscule moments where your body is working in the flesh, right? You're taking oxygen and you're you know, going through the whole um, process of, of, you know, I could go into the biology of it, but I won't. But it's like, it's amazing. He is that close. There isn't anything that God isn't part of in sustaining you. That's what he said. He said, oh, by the way, um, he is now calling you to account. He's calling you to account because you've ignored who he is. And so he sent his son who came to um, reveal perfectly who he is to the world. And he was rejected and died. And the reason he died was not because he was worthy of death, but he died because of your sinfulness because of your rejection of the very God who is closer to you than your own breath. And so now, you're called to repent. This is, what the, this is the Sermon on Mars Hill, right? He doesn't say anything about, oh, you came out of Egypt and all this stuff. He said, no, no, no. This is who God is. You're separated from him. He's rescuing you, and now you're called to act on that. You're called to account. You need to repent. And that the proof that God did this, is that he raised this one who was crucified and dead and buried, he raised him from the dead. And as soon as he said that, people went, he did what? I want to hear more about this. Uh, I've never heard of anybody being raised from the dead before. Right? Not really. You know, we have, we have myths. But I'm not talking about a myth. I'm talking about someone that I witnessed, well, we saw him raised from the dead. So if somebody walked into you, and you'd say, oh yeah, yeah, I read that in a Marvel comic, right? And we've got Wonder Woman, and we've got Captain America, and we've got, you know, oh, and there's Iron Man, he has a suit, you know. He's, he's, he's vulnerable, but he has a suit that's in there. You know? So you got all these ideas of, of who that could be, and it's like, no, 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 this is, this is a real guy. He was, he was killed, buried, under Roman law. They made sure he was dead. And he was raised. And the reason he died was because of you. Because God's rescued you. So now you got to answer. That's what Paul said to him. And the people were like, wow. Some of them believed in that moment. They recognized the truth of what he was saying. And they gave their life to Christ. And they were saved. And the seal of that, as Jack was talking about, the seal that the, the king had brought them in to the kingdom was the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God now was the one who 
um, animated their life. That their hope and faith, their trust is in him. And now they live, as you wrote on the board, for him. Right? Whether we live or die, it's all about who he is and what he is doing in us. I'm talking about that name. Um, So some of them said, wow. And some of them said, what are you drinking? Right? And, And so there was a separation of people. And that had nothing to do with telling the history of the Jews. And yet there were these two peoples. And Paul was arrested because he said that. He was arrested because of what he said, which was the truth. He was giving an eyewitness statement, and he was arrested for, for telling the truth. And he was brought before kings, and they said, what, what have you done? He said, well, this is it. And he told them. In fact, one of the kings that he was brought before said, you know, are you trying to convince me, Paul? Are you going to make me a follower of this Christ? Because he recognized that what Paul had done was just to tell the truth, the conviction of his faith. And, and uh, he said, you know, if, if you hadn't appealed to Caesar, I could release you right now. You've done nothing wrong. But he had to go to Rome. He had to appear before Caesar. He had to appear before the Roman king. And that's where he wrote this. And the reason he's a prisoner is because of his testimony to the Gentiles, not because he had done anything wrong. Is that church tradition? That's that's in Acts. When you read through in Acts, um, so um, Acts is great. Luke recorded all this stuff for us. So um, Paul gets back um, from, spends time in Ephesus. He ends up going to Jerusalem. You read about this in chapter 21 of Acts. He's seized at the temple, Acts chapter 21, verse 27. So basically all, uh, all this stuff that I just said, that's the biblical account of it. He gives his defense before the Jews. He then gives his uh, defense, because um, they had to take him, because of the people that thought that he was destroying the faith and the culture of the Jews said, this guy is dangerous, let's kill him. Let's take him out. So they had to take Paul by, by stealth to a place at the sea to where uh, Herod, Antipas, um, had a palace. So this was one of the descendants of Herod the Great. And Herod the Great built this great palace at Caesarea by the sea, and, uh, which is Caesarea Caesar, right? So he was naming it after himself as a king. He desired to be king. And so they took Paul there, and it's there you read about in uh, chapter 24, where he appears before Felix and Agrippa, and he gives this, and Festus, and he gives this testimony of what's occurring. So uh, first he gives testimony before Felix, before Festus, before Agrippa, and you read this, uh, chapter 24, 25, in Acts, and uh, in 26, and then he, they, from there, because he appealed to Caesar, they had to send him to Rome. That's chapter 27 of Acts. Right, so we then we read about how he makes it to Rome. He gets shipwrecked on the way, and people think he's a god because he gets bitten by snakes, and he shakes the snake, deadly snake, off into the fire, and uh, and he doesn't die. It's like, what's this about? Here's this guy that's like been stranded, shipwrecked, beaten, stoned. stoned. You know, I mean, and here he gets bitten by a deadly snake, and he doesn't die. It's like, dude, who are you? 
right? And he said, no, 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 it's not me. It's Christ and what he's doing in me for you. And that's exactly what he's saying. Because you get to the end of Romans here, or end of Acts, <clears throat> he ends up uh, at the end of chapter 28 in Acts. This is uh, where he ends up then in Rome, in chapter 28, verse 11 of Acts. He arrives in Rome. And it's there in Rome as a prisoner because of this message to, the, to us that he's, he's in prison. And we would say, well, that's unjust, but that's the way it was. He was a prisoner for Christ. That's what Paul understood. He said, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. So he's a prisoner of Jesus Christ for the sake of us. So is he a prisoner of the Romans? Or is he a prisoner of Christ? He's a prisoner of Christ because he wouldn't be there if it wasn't for doing Christ, doing his work. He recognized that God, before the foundation of the world, chose him in love to do good works, to do the works of God. And not that that would make him a god, but it would make him a creature greatly loved. Can you imagine God loves you so much that he is willing to give you the opportunity to do that which he would do, to do good. You know, we, and that's why we call him Father. Abba, we cry out. Father. Because it's like father like son, right? In, in, a, in a family, in a parental uh, relationship, child to parent, uh, the child wants to be like the parent in a good family. That's, and when it's not like that, the child feels that something's broken. They may not understand why it's broken, but it's like, whoa, it's not supposed to be like this. The guy's not supposed to be hitting me and hating me. It's supposed to be loving me and allowing me to become like him. And that's exactly what God does. Man, what an incredible privilege. But that's what he created us for. And this is Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. He's a son. And he's a prisoner because that is where Christ is. In, in, you know, designing Paul, designed him for just that point in history. Uh, where would you um, kind of draw a line um, between trying, you know, as far as God our Father and, and wanting to emulate Him or be like Him? Mm-hmm. Where, um, you know, and and um, and then not um, regarding equality with God, a thing to be grasped. Like you're not going to be equal to God, or you're not going right. to be God. Right, but right. So there's a difference between that statement about Christ. So when so, and this is also written in that same time frame uh, to the Philippians. If you turn just a few pages further to Philippians, um, which is the the letter that follows Ephesians and our canon of the Bible, again written in the same time frame as was Colossians. So these are called prison epistles. He wrote these letters while he was imprisoned in this point in his life. And he writes, be like Christ. He says, have this attitude, chapter 2, verse 5 of Philippians, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. So imitate him, right? Which, if Tim Reddington was sitting there, he would say, oh yeah, 5.1 of uh, Ephesians says, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. That's what it says. Right? It says, okay, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, so Jesus, 
the Christ, we understand, is both holy God, fully God, and fully man. In the form of God. He, and this is a mystery to us. It's like, how could, how could God actually enter into his creation, be part of his creation, and yet not lose himself? How could he do that? Well, this gives how us a clue. Away and not lose how could how could we how how could God become fully God? He's fully God. How can he become fully man to intervene in history to actually become part of history for the purpose of saving that which was lost? Right. That's what Jesus did. That's what we know about him. That's the testimony. That's his own words. And this is what it says. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. In other words, there was no question about his divinity. And he presented that in several different accounts, that he could do only what God could do. And he even said that. He said, I'm doing the works of my father. And they wanted to stone him for that. Because he, being a man, made himself God. Right? So we read about that in John. And he only says what his father's given him to say. Right. So what did Christ do? He emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant. A bondservant is one who, not through compulsion, they're not compelled to become a slave or a servant, but rather chooses. They have full freedom, and they choose to place themselves in a position of servitude. It's a humility. That's what he says. He humbled himself, um, emptied himself, being, uh, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's what, that's what God did for us. Now, what does he ask us to do as imitators of him? Love one another. Have this attitude that was in Christ. Right? We are to be like Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, a servant of the king, even to the point of being in chains, even to the point of being shipwrecked, or however God has designed you for whatever purpose that he's made you, he placed you there because that's where he wants you to shine in good works. So whether we suffer or whether we experience joy, we do it to the Lord? Yep, that's what happens. And he wants us to understand that this isn't just for some chosen group of folk. This is for you Gentiles. This is for the nations. This is for the whole world. And at the end of chapter 2, he leveled the playing field. He said, you know, there is, there is no division. We're all one in Christ. So it isn't that there are some select priests that are, uh, need to do this job. There isn't some select nation that needs to do this job. All are part of what we call the church. And this is the introduction of the church language. And he's going to talk more about the church. And then at the end of chapter 2, he talks about that church. um, The whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord. right? In whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the spirit. So we understand that this is a building without walls. That's what the church is. And that there is no difference between Jew and Gentile and the place that you find yourself in life 
does not surprise God. In fact, Paul, you could read this as that he was a prisoner because of his testimony, and that's why he was in prison. Or you can read this as that he is a prisoner because God designed him for that moment in time. Just like Esther, right? We read the story of Esther, which you have the fewest references to God in. And, and yet, you know, her uncle says, you know, who knows, but that you were created for just such a time as this. A time to bring a message that could save people's lives. Right? I think about this, and, and, and this is really close to home for me, because I'm in a really difficult place at work. And I was thinking about that this morning. It's like, man, I've seen this before. I hate being here. I know I can go through it because I can go through anything in the strength of of Christ. But um, God put me here not because of me, but because of him. And I need to have the courage to stand in that faith, to stand knowing that he has put a calling on my life. And that's what Paul's saying here. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ, for the sake of you Gentiles. And then he wants to tell us about the Gentiles, how we're not separated. If indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for you, oh, by the way, this is what God created me for, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery, as I wrote before in brief, where did he write before in brief? First two, first two chapters of Ephesians. He's telling us about the mystery. The grace of God, which is, and the love of God, which is a mystery. Right? But nonetheless, that mystery is for everyone. And he's been given a revelation of how that message of redemption is for everyone. Right? <clears throat> he says, by referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to his holy holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. This body of Christ, um, which we call the church, has within it specific members that have a revelation and an understanding that they can um, proclaim the revelation of God, that would be a prophet, right? That has a prophetic voice. God speaking to humanity. And they are able to bring that to humanity. And that's what the apostles, which are the witnesses that are sent. That's what apostle means. <clears throat> and the prophets in the spirit are bringing that message to the world. To be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. That there is no separation. Everybody's in. That that, how you get in is not because of who you are or what you do. It's because of God's choosing you and his gracious love towards you. It is a free gift. But nonetheless, that free gift, as I, when I went through that passage in chapter 2, creates an obligation. Just as Paul, when he was given the, the sermon on the mount in, in, uh, there in Athens, it was not a mount, it was in the auditorium, <clears throat> he, uh, he said, now, now you've heard all this, God calls you to account. 
Now that you know who the unknown God is, you have an obligation to accept this or reject it. So it's a free gift, but it creates in the recipients of that gift an obligation. So that crowd there, upon him saying that, he says, you can accept that, this, or reject it. So some of them assuredly accepted it and some rejected it. Right. Most of them probably never said a word. I mean, he probably didn't have them line up out the door and say, accept or reject, I've got to mark you down. No, 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 there was, there was no ballot, <laughs> so, and it wasn't secret. So my question then, um, or comment, I guess, uh, is for those there that accepted it, the message, but then never even prayed one time in their life or, or anything like that ever again for the next, like, say, 30 years or something, and then they... And then they well, you know, continue sinning and all that stuff, and then they go die someday. Does that mean that they're believers? So, well, what happens when that sense of obligation comes upon you? You get uh, um, a decree nailed to you that is the Spirit. You get a king's ring lost on your foot. Right, and that changes you. You're now sealed. You're changed. And others are going to notice when that happens, and they did notice, by the way. Um, and that's going to make you, it's going to make you distinct. You're no longer of this kingdom in the world. You're now of this other kingdom in heaven. And that the evidence of that is not because you knew how to pray a prayer. In fact, probably a lot of these people had never even considered how it is you talk to that God. If they didn't know who he was, how could they talk to him? So it wasn't like they were practiced in a, a sinner's prayer or anything like that, or that they were led in a sinner's prayer. Rather, they were convicted by the Spirit of God, and some of them went, wow, I, I, want, to, I want to know this God. I want to give up that which I have done my whole life that is false and follow the one who is true. And that seal then sets them apart. And what we know is that because God created us for good works, and we also read about, just like we'll go on to uh, Philippians here because it's important. <clears throat> this was, this was uh, Paul's prayer. <clears throat> uh, yeah, in Philippians, we're reading that... Uh, um, I read in Philippians chapter 1, verse 3, I think... My God, in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all, in view of your preparation in the gospel from the first day until now. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. So when you get that seal and God has set you apart because of the response of your heart, right? It's like, yes, I'm in. I don't know what in means. But I'm in, right? The work of your life is about bringing you, perfecting that good work. And so that's why I say, wherever you are, God puts you there. You're a prisoner, just like Paul, for Jesus Christ. So I can relate to Paul. Prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of the Gentiles which we read on that the great message is, is that you are no longer lost. You are no longer separated, we read in verse 6. To be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. 
What is the promise? This is why we've got to know foundationally. What is that which God has said to us that is irrevocable? When God makes a promise, his promise is good. His promise isn't just for a four-year election. We're going to get a lot of promises this year. Right? Some of them scare me. Um, You know, when God gives me a promise, I can put my whole life on that promise. I can trust him because he said, I, in him, have eternal life. I am in him. I have a place. I have a future. I have an inheritance. I am no longer separated because of my sin. I'm, I am now in him. When he looks at me, and this is the thing you were talking about earlier in that name, he looks at me from before the foundation of the world. I'm, you know, I would like to think he was sitting there shaking his head, Dave, 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 Dave. Dave. Well, that wasn't what he was thinking. Right? He was thinking blessings. The, the creation that he intended to do good work. Right? And that when he looks at me, he looks at me in his son. So sometimes we say, yeah, we, God puts on the, the glasses of Jesus. And when he looks at us, he's looking at his son. Does that mean that he doesn't see the Dave, Dave, Dave moments? No. <laughs> he actually sees that in full, but rather he chooses to justify me in his son. His son's work was complete and whole, once and for all. Doesn't need to be done again, right? No question. It's like, and that's what will happen in that day when we stand before God and we read about it in Revelation chapter twenty, uh, the great called the great white throne judgment. You know, and the books are open, right? and the book is open. And what happens is, is that I'm written in the book of the Lamb, right? My, who I am, my person is there. And what that means is that when the accuser comes up and says, "I know this guy." Look at this. This is a person who does not deserve life. And he'll look at me and and he'll say, In my son, that sin is paid. Sure enough, guilty, but justified. Guilty. Yeah. And that's that's what it says. He casts our sin as far as the east is from the west. That's only that far. No, when you think about it. So it's either that far or it's infinity. If you're going east, you're always going east. That's not true if you're going north. You keep going north, you'll eventually be going south. Right? But if you're going east, you're only going east. If you're going west, you're only going west. And as far as the east is from the west, the two never meet. Spherical geometry. Right? And, and, and that's how far God has cast our sin from us. That's what it says in the song. That's when God looks at us, he says, yep, my arms are wide open. As far as the east is from the west. That's how you are viewed, not in your sin, but you're viewed in Christ's righteousness. Or else there would have been no reason for him to make that sacrifice. That's right. He would have not needed to done it, done it if it could be done any other way. And, and what happens as a result of that is now I am a fellow heir. 
I am a member of that body. I am in the church of Jesus Christ. He is the head. And I have the opportunity to serve as he is served. Right? Which might mean that in the course of my calling, I have to lay it all down. In fact, I would say in the course of our callings, we have to lay it all down. We'll try and hold on to some of it, because that's our nature. You know, I, I, don't mind, I don't mind holding an umbrella for a little lady or helping someone in or vacuuming a floor or something like that, but going on a crossing, uh, that's pretty, pretty hardcore, don't you think? Oh, I just ran out of time. <laughs> Not because of that statement, because my wife said, look at the clock. I'm supposed to pay attention to that. So... Um, I will finish at least through 13, and um, what my hope was, was to impress upon you the love of God, that that love would actually be transformative in your life, and that's exactly how Paul's going to close this chapter, which is a close on a whole theological presentation that he's doing. He closes it with trying to understand the breadth and the depth and the width and the height of God's love for us in Christ Jesus. So, that's, and, and he actually says this, he says, when we were talking about fellow, uh, fellow partakers of the promise of which he was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to him according to the working of his power, Christ's power, God's power. To me, the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery which for the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things, so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavenlies. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord. This was always his intent. In whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. Therefore I ask you not to lose heart at my tribulations, or yours, on, on our behalf. For they are for your glory. Let's go ahead and close here in prayer. Lord, um, incredible, uh, powerful message from Paul and how he was living out his life. And these were uh, close to the end days of his life. We know that uh, it was still uh, a few more years before he would actually lay down his life um, for you in, in total. But Lord, he was laying down his life here that we could hear this message of what you've done for us, who you are, and, and why we can have confident assurance in you and in your love. Lord, we just thank you so much for that. We thank you for um, opening our eyes as your spirit touches our hearts to encourage us, to give us strength in the day, uh, in this evil day. <coughs> Lord, we... Uh, we ask that um, you would continue to provide for us, to protect us. Uh, we thank you so much for your service. Lord, help us be servants as uh, you have been for us. Lord, we thank you for this. We ask that you be with uh, Pastor Bob as he brings a message about your church uh, to this congregation today. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for all this in your name we pray. Amen.